The title of the message this morning is God, Our Great Giver. God is our great giver. We're going to look at verse 32. We're just going to look at one verse. Romans chapter 8, verse 32. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, we come before you, come before your word, come before your throne of grace. Father, we're seeking refuge in Christ. Father, we pray, Lord, you'll bless your word. Bless each heart. In Jesus' name, amen. So this verse supplies us with a divine logic. And there's many places that we'll see logic. It, it asks you to reason something. It asks you to take a premise and then look at the conclusion. One of the things that also we remember is that the Holy Spirit, the Word of God is inspired. That means that it's God-breathed. That the Holy Spirit is alive and it teaches us the Word of God. There's no other book in the world that's alive except for the Bible. And that's because the Holy Spirit is speaking through you. Now, here's something that he wants you to see for yourself, that he wants you to conclude in yourself. And he makes this conclusion in verse 32. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? So we see this logic applied throughout the word of God. Some examples would be, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast into the oven, shall he not much more clothe you? Matthew chapter 6. That teaches us the reason that if God goes into such great detail and care in the smallest of things, in which his object of love is not upon, how much more would he go into great love and detail and care of the objects of his love. So how much more would he not provide for you that he provides for the earth? So we see this divine logic, don't we? We see the if-then. But in this verse, we're going to look at three things. We're going to see what God has done, why God did it. Actually, we're going to look at four things. We're going to see the reasoning of this verse, and then we're going to see that there's a comfort in this verse that he has eternally, he is the God, our giver. He is God, our giver. Well, the first thing that he calls us to do in verse 32 is to consider that God has not spared his own son. Now, all, first of all, what we look at is this is what God has done. God has given the ultimate sacrifice. I believe many times that we uh, don't think and meditate upon how God's sending his son to die, to suffer for your sins, how it was a heartbreak, how it was a real sacrifice that God loved. He says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. There was an everlasting love for the son, an enduring love for the son. And so we know that this cost that it cost God. Now think about this for a minute. When Adam and Eve sinned, and then they were expelled from the presence of God, that God knew that it would, in order for that relationship to be restored, 
to us that it would cost God. It wouldn't cost man. It would cost God. Because man had no ability, capability, power to restore that relationship with God. It must have been God who acted, and God did. By his grace, he acted. But it cost God. It cost him the sacrifice of his dear son. Jesus felt this grief. Jesus felt the sacrifice. And you don't have to turn there, but in Isaiah 53, the prophet talks about Jesus and his grief. He was despised, rejected. He was a man of sorrow. Jesus was acquainted with grief. And surely he had borne our sorrows and carried our griefs. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. By his stripes, we are healed. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, it talks about, but Jesus, but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels. And that uh, for the suffering of death, Jesus in his humility had to be made lower than the angels. I've said this statement before. Jesus was born to die. Jesus was born to die. He was made a little lower than me. Think of the descent of God in his pre-eternal existence. He is Elohim. He is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They're three distinct persons, but they're all one. And it, Elohim is in the singular. In his pre-existence as God, how he's worshipped day and night. He's the author. He's the creator by the word of his power. All things exist. And the Hebrews tells us it became him to be the author of our salvation because God is the author of everything else. God's the only one that has the power for everything else. So it became him to suffer. So he had to suffer. He had to come. Look at the cost it was to him. God spared not his own son. And that many times we, we think back about the illustration and great biblical truth of Abraham. And I said, God chose Abraham. He says, Abraham, I know you and Sarah, his wife, are old beyond years that they could have a child. But God made Abraham a promise and said that you will have a child with Sarah. And in your old age. And so it was an impossibility. I mean, it would take a miracle for Sarah to have a child at 100 years old. And that is exactly, but Abraham believed God. God, I don't know how you're going to do it, but I believe you. Everything in my sight says that's impossible, but I know that all things are possible with God. So it says that Abraham staggered not at the promises of God, but counted God faithful to all that he promised, despite what Abraham saw. What happened? Isaac was born. And he loved Isaac. Abraham loved Isaac. This was a child of promise. This was the long-awaited child. And they poured out. I mean, it was their only child between him and Sarah. So you can imagine just the, the love they outpoured. And one day God came to Abraham and said, Abraham, I want you, and you can pick this up in Genesis chapter 22. And he uses this phrase over and over. God says, Abraham, I want you to take Isaac, thine only son, who you love. Now think about that. Now, what, is, what does that remind you of? It reminds you of God and his only son and his being. Okay, so the instruction to Abraham keeps going. Take Isaac, 
the one you've waited for, forever, and take him and offer him up on a mountain for a sacrifice. Kill him. Abraham said, okay, Lord. So he obeyed God. He took Isaac and they went to Mount Moriah and they went up and he had all the wood. He had everything ready for the burnt offering. He was going to slay Isaac, his son. And Isaac was holding the wood. And he goes, here's the, all of the things for the sacrifice, Father. Where's the sacrifice? And Abraham said, God will provide himself a lamb. And so Abraham went up getting ready to kill Isaac, obeying God, and an angel stopped Abraham and said to Abraham, because thou hast done this thing, because you did not withhold your only son, the son whom you love. Just these verses, those phrases will pop out at you when, when you start looking at them. Start looking at them in comparison. That we know that, that thou fearest God. And, be, and behind Abraham, there was a ram that was caught in the thicket. And the angel said, let Isaac go. And he got the lamb that God had provided and killed the lamb in the place of Isaac. Now here is the thing. God did not spare his own son to be a sacrifice. You know, I'm the Isaac. You're the Isaac. That I should have been punished. I should be paying for my sins. That I've disobeyed against God, my maker, my ruler. Like I said, if, if you ever look on the bottom of your foot, it should say, made by God. And I have disobeyed him. I've disappointed him. And I must suffer the wages of sin. And that's death. But just as Abraham went to slay, God stopped. He said, nope. I provided myself a lamb. Let Philip go. Let him go. Set him free. And Jesus in my place paid for my sins and my suffering. And God slayed him there. That's what it says in Isaiah 53. It pleased the Lord to bruise him, to put him to grief. Um, When we weigh the words, God spared not his son. We think of the price it was to God and, and Jesus taking on the humiliation that he took on. The sacrifice of love which, which he gave. How he was mocked. How he was beaten. Just the, the cost that it was to him. Not only did he suffer becoming flesh, he partook of our flesh. Having been God, that he was born of the virgin, that he was raised in the flesh, but yet he did not sin. He was tempted as every point that we are tempted. He suffered the curse of death even though he never sinned. He suffered for sin even though he never sinned himself. I mean, it would be like us uh, suffering these bodies that are in pain, suffering grief that we go through, suffering fear. Suffering just bad things that happen with this, this baby dying. Or children getting cancer. All the, the disease and the destruction and the curse of sin. The reign of sin and death. But Jesus walked into these things having no sin of His own. He suffered for us. He suffered the grief 
And not only that, he just gets ready to go to the crucifixion. He's there in the, the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's praying that the Lord just emboldens the Lord's will for Jesus to do what he has to do to become the ransom, to become the sacrifice. I mean, imagine the, the, imagine the ram in the thicket. That ram's life, as soon as that ram was born, it had an end. It would replace Isaac as a sacrifice. Same thing with Jesus. As he was born, as he rose, as a boy, in his years of ministry, the compassion and the love. I mean, he, it did not grieve him, and he did not go to the cross unwillingly. Like it was something he had to do. He went voluntarily. He went in love, knowing what the sacrifice would mean. Knowing that it would mean that I would be set free. And he went. And we see that God did not hesitate to do it. Jesus suffered. Now, we see what God did. But why did he do it? Look at a verse again. We see that God in 8.32, He that spared not His own son. So He didn't withhold it. But what did He do? He delivered Him up for us all. This is why God did it. He spared not Christ so that He might spare us. Those who believe. That delivered up. It's interesting if, if you stop and really focus and study on this sentence. He delivered him up. That delivered up means to hand over to the authorities. To hand over. Here you go. Just to, just to give him away. God delivered Jesus up for wrath. So that we may be delivered from his wrath. God delivered up Jesus to wrath so that we may be delivered from it. And we marvel at the, at the design. Now it says, notice, for us. God so loved that He gave. And He delivered up Jesus because He loved. Now it says that He delivered Him up for us all. Now we look at the for us. We know that it is for those who are his enemies, those who are sinful. We, you know, you may not be out here opposing God and, and being a straight-up enemy and being an atheist and, and denying God and then persecuting people who, who all profess God. But the Bible teaches us that none of us within ourselves please God. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. It calls us the children of wrath. And what that means is by nature, we are children of wrath. But by nature, we are those who will receive God's wrath, will receive punishment because of the sins which we have committed. Um, we were the sheep that have gone astray. We were the ones who rebelled against God. Romans chapter 3 gives us a perfect description of who we are by nature. We hated His holiness. We cursed against our Creator. We broke His commandments. We have resisted His Spirit. And for us, it says that every mouth will be stopped and all the world will become guilty before God. None of us will have any excuse as we stand before God. 
that all of us have sinned. Now, here's the thing. Some people don't need convinced of this truth. Some people do. Some people don't need to be convinced they're broken. Some people don't need convinced that they're unworthy. Some people do. There's many people who, you know, I'm just, I'm, I have done so much wrong in my life. And I have done just things that I can't even think about. You think of the worst criminal out there and how unworthy they feel, how how broken they feel, how they're just right now. But that is exactly who Jesus is saving. That's exactly. He's coming to the broken and the contrite hearts. He's the one who's coming and he's putting the balm, the healing balm upon their hearts. He's changing their life. I mean, night and day, one eight. That is who he is coming to seek and to save those who are lost. The Bible says there is no too great a sinner that God cannot save. Look at Paul. Paul went killing church members. And then the Lord saved him. And ever since then, we see Paul grieve at who he used to be, but joyful who God saved him to be. And all Paul could do was be thankful because it wasn't Paul that made the change. It was the power of God. It was the Spirit of God. It was the love of God. Oh, that love worked in Paul's life. And Paul turned around instead of hating every other religion, he loved and he suffered for spreading the love of Christ. All of us are broken. All of us need Christ. All of us. But then there's some who believe they don't need salvation. They don't need forgiveness. They believe that God will be impressed with who they are. That's it right there. That's the way Cain approached God. God said, I want you to do this and offer it to me. And Cain was like, you know what, God, I'm going to do one better. I'm going to impress God with all my skills, my ability, my nature. I can do this, so I'm going to offer this up before God. But it wasn't what God asked him. But Cain sought to impress God. The only ones we should be impressed with are Christ. And that's it. That's it. We're not to be impressed with ourselves for doing anything of salvation. Because it is by God's mercy. If God had not had mercy, I would have been tossed into a devil's hell forever and ever and ever into a lake that a brimstone and fire. But God had mercy on me. He says, I will have mercy upon whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion upon whom I will have compassion. And praise the Lord, He had compassion and He had mercy on me. And I pray that He has had compassion and mercy upon you. Where all we can do is, is say, Lord, I was going this way, but you came and you turned all that around in my life. Not only did you give me victory after life, not only can I go to the grave and I can go to my last breath on earth knowing that the Lord has safely secured me. I'm in safe in the arms of God and all His power. And by the word of His power, all things exist, including my safety, including my salvation, that I know in this life too I've got the victory. I've got, he's given us understanding. He says, as we saw in Hebrews, his rest is now. 
How do you enter into God's rest? How do you enter into peace of mind and of heart and of comfort and of purpose and of understanding? Now, does sin creep up and want to depress you? And especially in this kind of weather? Yes, it absolutely does. But what is that? What is that we can rest in Him? That's what He says. Rest in Him. Enter into His rest through belief. That's it. By faith. By faith. Abraham believed God. Notice here that it says, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up. He delivered Jesus up. He did not spare him for us all. Now notice that word, us. This does not say that he delivered him up for all. Did you see that? Who did God deliver up Jesus for? Us. Who's the us? Well, if you look in the context, he defines who us are. Actually, all throughout chapter 8. In verse 28, 828, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the call, according to his purpose. I, as I continue to read, notice the object of God's grace and God's love and all of the things, all the benefits, all of the security, all of the power, the victory which we have. Notice who the objects are. They're the ones who are the called in verse 28. For whom he did foreknow. Who's the whom? The call. He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. What shall we say then to these things if God be for us? <laughs> Who's the us? It's the object of God's grace and his mercy and his goodness. It is the object of who God has secured from beginning of time into salvation, how he determined before to set his love upon us to those who believe. That's the, that's the object of God's love. That's the object of who Christ died for. Who did Christ die for? The us. The us. Who did God spare not his son for? The us. And we see this. Who bore our sorrows and our griefs? The us. Jesus did it for us. Jesus said in John chapter 10, He says, I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Who did Jesus die for? His sheep. Who did God justify? Who did God elect according to His sovereign grace? The us. His sheep. And He says this, I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus laid down His life for His own. For you, if you believe today, if you have surrendered your pride and come to Him in repentance and faith and ask the Lord to save you, have mercy on you, to forgive you of your sins 
and believe and trust in the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for your sin. He paid for them. God had transferred all your crime that you have committed against Him. And He transferred it all into the account of Christ. And Jesus paid for all of it. And there's not one sin left that He did not pay for. He has secured us in His salvation. It's God's salvation. God has purpose that He would save, that He would rescue by His grace to the glory of the praise of His grace. All through eternity, we're going to be praising the grace of God for loving such an unlovable me and giving what He gave to me. He did this, not for all, for us all. For us, the call, those who God had determined to love, to bless, to give you the promises, to give you the victory. You have the victory. Never go to bed in your darkest days ever questioning whether God loves you. Because He does. He does. Look at the cause. Look why He did. Now look at the logic of this now he brings in the logic. Now we've got the premise. What's the premise? The cost of God not sparing up his own, of sparing his son in verse 32. Why he did it? To deliver him up as a sacrifice for us. Now here's the logic. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? If God has done this, God doing his greatest work, the greatest gift that He could ever give you from His love, that is a pledge of all future mercies. Isn't it? The ultimate mercy, the ultimate grace, the ultimate love that He has offered, we see it cost Him to save you. Wouldn't He also give you what you need? He's not going to stop his giving there. That's what it, it's a pledge of his mercy to you. You are the object of his affection. It's going to end very well for those who are in the Lord. So well. But we pray that the Lord save those who do not know him as their Savior, who's not trusted in him. We pray for them because we know that it does not end well if you reject Him. And that's what it says here. And how shall He? Notice the tense of that verb in verse 32. It doesn't say, how has He not with us given all things? It says, how shall He not? That means present tense and future. I mean, it also means God has given us things in the past because of His love to us. But how shall he not also today, tomorrow, and forever continue to be God our great giver of all that we need, both now and forever? And he gives it to us freely. There's, there's no budget crisis of God's mercy. There's no restriction on God's love, on what God would give you. He's actually more willing to give than we are to receive. We have not because we ask not. How much more would God give us? Now, 
here's the question. What is it that you need God to give you today? He's our great giver. He'll give it. What do you need? And he'll give it to you free. Is it forgiveness of your sins? Well, it says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you need forgiveness of sins? Ask God. Is it grace? God said that He, God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound for every good work. That's in 2 Corinthians 9 8. Or maybe you need to ask God for rest. Jesus said, Come unto me, and I will give you rest. Is it comfort? Jesus said, and ye know, and ye now therefore have sorrow, but I will see you again. And your heart shall rejoice, and your joy shall no man take from you. Maybe you need to ask God for the calmness of soul. Psalm 23. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff comfort me. And I love in the Psalm 23, how it says that he leads me beside the still waters. Or when our soul's in conflict, when it's in turmoil, when it just seems like there's a storm going on, and, and it's just, you can't hold on to a thought long enough until you're on to another thought, and it's just this and that, it's random. Aren't you glad that he leads us beside the still waters? Just be still. Be peaceful. Be calm. Did he make you to lie down in green pastures? That his rod and his staff, they bring us comfort? Maybe you need to ask God for it. And he will give you. If he, if he spared not his own son, why would he not give you that? If, he, if, he's, if he's given you the greatest blessing of all, why would he not give you the lesser blessings? He will. He will give them to you. We saw four things. What God gave why God gave. Then the Holy Spirit has led us into reasoning. Now, take what God gave and why He gave it, and then let this be a reason to you. Would not God give you all things? All things. And then the comfort is that He shall give us all things. God's not done giving you things. And He shall give you grace. You know, um, one of the things, <clears throat> Jason was little, and he was a little boy, and he was just misbehaving. He was being awful, terrible. And I was getting upset and upset, and uh, I turned to him, and I said, Jason, and I was upset. I said, do you want a spanking? Or do you want orange leaf? Orange leaf is frozen yogurt. And he's crying and throwing a tantrum. And he looks up at me kind of confused. And he goes, orange leaf? And I was like, oh, man, I messed that up. So I was like, well, maybe nobody heard me say that. 
So I look over and there's April and there's the kids and they're all rolling. I'm like, you know, duh. Do you want a spanking? Do you want me to come down on you? Or do you want orange? You know what Jason didn't do? He didn't ignore them. Think about it. He took those two things as two valid options. Do you want my wrath? Or do you want to be saved? Jason didn't ignore it. How many people are ignoring that question today from God? It's a no-brainer, isn't it? I choose life. I choose salvation. Many people ignore it. Many people ignore it. Are you saved? The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God has given us amazing gift. Amazing. For eternity, we will not be able to stop thanking God. We will not be able to stop praising God for this gift of love, the ultimate sacrifice, what it cost him, why he did it. In my step, he says, let Philip go, unbind him, untie him. Do not kill Philip. Do not pour your wrath out upon him. For God has provided himself a lamb in my stead that he died for my sin. And today I'm free. Tomorrow I'm free. Next week I'm free. And if I were to die and, and going down in a plane crash or whatever, and I don't have to worry about having the last five seconds to confess all my sin, I'm saved today. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we should be called the sons of God. Today you are a child of God. And that's not going away. Oh, if he did that, would he not also freely give you all things, all the things that you need? What do you need today? God is our great giver. Just ask him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this day. Thank you, Father, for your mercy, your grace to us. Well, how wonderful, majestic, amazing your grace. Father, we cannot fully comprehend it in these minds. But you give us glimpses of it where it just energizes our hearts and where we sing hallelujah. We sing praise. We sing thanks to you. Father, we, we know, Lord, the richness of your love, the richness of your grace, the richness of the victory you give us, all that Christ accomplished in the cross. Father, what a sweet life you've saved us too. But we do pray in our heartbreaks for those who do not know you as their personal Savior, who reject you or ignore you, who do not take it seriously. Father, we pray that you do in your hearts only a work that you can do. And we'll give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Brother Ron, if you please.